know that our online community is live and with us, so welcome. We're glad that you're tuned in this morning. Uh, thanks to Jonathan and to Matt and to Daniel back there getting all getting you guys tuned in here. We're glad to see you or at least be seen by you this morning. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, I don't know if you heard earlier, but there was a bit of a power surge here at church, and so we had to kind of restart everything and reboot everything. Thanks for you who are live for being patient with us this morning as we try to get the online community turned, tuned in with us this morning as well. All right, hey, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we've been working through this um, series called Meeting with God over the last few weeks, and uh, today we conclude this series, uh, move on next week into something a little bit new and different, all right? So through the last few months, we have been working through this, like I said, and we've hopefully now seen that no matter our situation, no matter what we've been walking through or are walking through, whether it's our depression or our insecurity, our anxiety, these are all different things that we've hit on and touched on throughout the last few weeks. Our depressions, our insecurities, our anxieties, our sufferings, our pride, our sin, the shame that we feel. No matter our situation that we feel uh, and the situation that we're in, we, we, we know that we have a God who, who longs to meet with us. No matter what we're walking through, we have a God who longs to meet with us and we have because of Jesus, this brilliant opportunity to meet back with God. At the same time that God longs to meet with us, we have this opportunity to meet with him as well. These topics, in a lot of ways, they've been extremely relevant to us and things we're walking through. But they've also been extremely uh, tricky and challenging and hard in a lot of ways uh, it forces us to kind of point a finger at ourselves, and it forces us to deal with some things, to be honest and deal with a few things that we're walking through. It also forces us to remember or be reminded that in the midst of our stuff, in the midst of the things that we're walking through and going through, that we have a Yahweh God that does long to, to, to love us and to linger with us. In the midst of the things that we're going through, whether it's our shame or our sin, or our depression. We have a God who loves, longs, and lingers with us. Now, all of that to say where we find ourselves today and this morning is this whole idea of meeting with God as our Father. We have a problem in America. I'm glad nobody said amen, okay, because I think we all know that right now, okay? We have a problem in America. We have a problem in the world, okay? According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million, I'm going to say that number again, 19.7 million children, that is more than one in four, live without a father in their home. 19.7 million live without a father in their home. Research shows, so consequently, consequently, there is this uh, father factor that nearly all society worldwide faces, that we, that we deal with this father factor worldwide. So consequently, and these are statistics that just, uh, are, these statistics I'm going to present to you are just uh, within the context of the U.S. borders, okay? Consequently, here's some statistics uh, that the U.S. Census Bureau kind of shares with us, okay? 
those who are raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways, okay? These 19.7 million, uh, they're at a four times greater risk of poverty, four times greater. They are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager because of this fatherlessness. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer from obesity, more likely to commit a violent crime, and two times more likely to drop out of school. These statistics, the US Census Bureau has pointed directly back to fatherlessness in the home. We have a problem worldwide, and it's called fatherlessness. And I now, at the same time that we say all of this, I don't ever want to uh, presume or to assume your relationship, the relationship that you had or have with your parents. I know that, that, that relationships that we have or had growing up deeply affected us in huge ways and still do deeply affect us in huge ways. I get that. But I want you to know this morning that no matter the relationship that you had with your biological or adoptive or foster or surrogate father, each of you have a heavenly father who perfectly loves you. Each of us. We have a heavenly father who loves us perfectly. Many of us, uh, as we were raised or grow up, we could even point now to things that our fathers or our parental figures did towards us that have affected us deeply. They, this is imperfect, this was imperfect, this was imperfect, this was imperfect. We can point to all of the imperfections and flaws that say, and this is how they affected us today, right? But each of us at the exact same time have a heavenly Father who loves us perfectly. Okay, Matthew chapter six. What we're gonna do this morning is kind of see through a bunch of different sets of verses, the love of the Father and the relationship that we have with the Father. Jesus teaches, uh, he, he sits down and teaches at length. Uh, Matthew records this uh, as the Sermon on the Mount. So we're gonna to turn to Matthew chapter six. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter six, we're gonna start in verse five and read through 18. Uh, a bit of a lengthy portion of his teaching here, but we're gonna read through this, and I want you to maybe circle or underline or highlight or something in your Bible when you hear the phrase or the words, your father or our father or my father, all right? So let's read through this. Matthew chapter six, verses five through 18. He starts out teaching about prayer. Here's what Jesus says. And when you pray, you must, not like, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm giving you hints here. Do you pick up on these hints when you should be circling or underlining or something like that? Hope you're picking up on them, okay? Verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, Jesus says, 
For your Father, who knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then like this, Jesus says. When you pray to the Father, pray like this. When you pray to your Father, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your, heaven, your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Hopefully you have several things underlined or highlighted or circled in your Bible at this point. Let's pray, and then we'll dig through this a little bit. Father, this morning we need help recognizing and differentiating. God, we need help recognizing the difference between our earthly fathers or these earthly parental figures that we have and you as a good and perfect father. God, many of us in this room had fathers or mothers that were just fantastic and they loved us and they showed us the love of God, but you're better, you're a better father. And we need help seeing that and identifying that. Many of us, Father, in this room, uh, a lot of us, maybe God had fathers who were absent or abusive, and we struggle seeing you and all of your goodness and all of your beauty because of this relationship that we had with these distant or abusive fathers, Father. We, we, we struggle living into your goodness as a, as a good father. And so, Father, this morning, we need help recognizing and differentiating. God, help us to do that well. Help us to see all of your beauty towards us, all of your goodness towards us this morning as a good, loving, kind Father. Help us, God. Help me, Father, to to relay your goodness and your beauty well this morning, I pray. Amen. Here in Matthew, if you were to go through all of the book of Matthew, just Matthew's gospel... Okay, just the book of Matthew, you would see this. You would see Jesus refer to Yahweh God as your father. He teaches, when, as he's teaching, he, he would refer to God as your father 17 times. Throughout all of Matthew, if you were to go through and read all of Matthew, you would see this 17 times you would read this word, these words, your father. As Jesus is teaching, he says, your father does this, your father who is in heaven, your heavenly father. 17 times Jesus teaches this, this idea, this phrase. He says, uh, he also at the same time refers to Yahweh God as his father, the words my father. He refers to that 16 times. So he looks at, he looks at those he's teaching, you and me here. He looks at us and he calls Yahweh God our father, he says, your father 17 times. And then he also looks at, at those he's teaching and he says, my father who is in heaven. He says that 16 times as he's teaching. Now, we also have to believe and understand that, that, that other gospel writers, okay, they, they remembered other things that Jesus said also. And so all of these other gospel writers as well recounted, uh, recounted uh, accounted for several other times where Jesus said these same things as well. 
things that Matthew did not apply. So it is, it is clearly said throughout the context of the Gospels that Jesus says the words to his listeners, your father, over 30 times, well over. And he says the words, my father, over 30 times as well. So he says this over and over and over, teaching that God, Yahweh God, is a good father to you, but he's also a good father to me. But I also love what he says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. As he's teaching to pray, right, if you look at it real quickly, there's a bit of a difference here in how he defines the father, isn't there? If you, if you look at it here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, as he's teaching his disciples, as he's teaching those sitting on this mountain, as he's teaching them how to pray, how does he refer to God? He calls God our Father, right? So throughout the, throughout the context of the Gospels, he has looked at the Father and he has called the Father your Father. He has called the Father my Father, but now here as he's teaching people how to pray, what does he say? He puts himself in the exact same boat as all of his followers. And he says, when, when we pray, I pray the same way you pray. When we pray, we pray our Father. He puts himself in the same boat as all of his listeners here. He says, our Father here. Jesus teaches us about the Father using words like your Father, but then he also associates himself alongside us, viewing God as his Father as well. He says, God's not just your Father, God's my Father, and we pray to the Father. Isn't it, just sit on that for a second, isn't it fantastic to know and remind ourselves, just for a second, that we pray to the same Father that Jesus prayed to. And that because of Jesus being our high priest, being the one who intercedes to the Father for us, that when we pray, God hears our prayers just like he heard Jesus' prayers. That we have this perfect communication with the Father because of Jesus, just like Jesus had this perfect communication with the Father. He says God is our Father. So we've asked ourselves throughout the context of this series two really simple questions. For the last time today, we're going to ask ourselves these two really simple questions. In light of God being our Father, okay, who is God? Which we kind of just answered, but we're going to answer it more deeply. Who is God and what does God do? In light of him being our father, who is God and what does God do? Okay? Who is God? Now, if you've really been paying attention, you've, you also know that we've answered these two questions really in the exact same two ways as well. God is present and God provides. Right? So as our father, God is present. God is present. Listen, God is not just present. Okay? But God is present with us as our good father. Okay? Now we're going to play a little bit of a Bible drill here, okay? So flip around in your Bibles, or if you have your phone, you're going to, you guys are cheating because you just get to tap on the buttons, okay? Yeah, have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I always found it funny in youth how the, the kids who had their Bibles and were flipping to the pages 
uh, through, their, through their Bible, found the, found the verses faster than those who were looking for it on their phone anyways. <laughs> I thought that was kind of amusing. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. God is our good Father. I want you to read these verses with me as we remind ourselves that he's our good Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Paul is talking to the church in Rome. He is writing this letter to the church in Rome, reminding the church in Rome about who God is as well and who we are in Christ. This is what he says, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God to the throne room of God, to the feet of God in Jesus Christ, they are called what? Sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. For you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if, we, and if children, then heirs of God and fellowship and, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I remember several years back, my uh, two nephews were adopted by their father. Um, and I remember being in the room, and many of you have witnessed and been a part of this same kind of idea, the same thing. I remember being in the room, and the judge looked at, the, at my two nephews, and they said, do you want this man to be your father? And my nephew said, yes. <laughs> And, my, and their father, their adoptive father, the, the judge looked at their adoptive father and said, do you want these two boys to be your sons? And their father said, yes. And the judge looked at them and said, then this man is now your father, and these boys are now your sons, and everything that you have is now theirs, and everything that he says is now yours. This is what this looks like, Right? This is the only like worldly picture that we have of this, that this judge looks down at these sons and says, this is now your father and father, these are now your sons. And all of what he has is now yours. This is what this means, this is what this looks like. Look back at Romans chapter eight, verse 14. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we then cry these words. Abba, Papa. You see, I remember my boys, those boys, looking at their father, and there was this well of life. Now, here's what this did. This, this time, this moment, gave these boys value that they never knew. We look at the Lord here, the Lord looks at us, and as we are led by the Spirit to be called sons of God, we cry out, because of the value, because of the great value that God the Father has placed upon us, right? So much value that he sent Jesus to die for us. Because of the great value that God placed upon us, our only response to the Father is, oh God, our Abba Papa. This is the response that we have in light of God being our father, once orphans, now sons, once having nothing, now having this inheritance. And listen, not just an inheritance, not even a worldly inheritance, once having nothing, now having the kingdom, once we're fatherless, now having a king that we call Abba, a king 
that we call Abba. Who is God? God is our good Abba. This is who God is. God is our good adoptive Abba. What does God do? God does several things here. We're going to highlight five of them. What does God do first? If you're taking notes, first God gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. This is what, this is what the writer of James says. Just jot this verse down. You don't have to turn there right now. But he gives good gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here's what that means. How many times have we been given a gift and expected to do something in return for the gift? James says, this is not how God works, my friends. This is not how good works. Everything that you have, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. There's no variation. There's nothing you have to do or can do in light of this gift that's just been given to you. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Who is God and what does God do? God is our good Abba, and he gives good gifts. He gives really good gifts, doesn't he? You've heard the phrase, count your blessings, sung the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Man, friends, in so many ways, this is what we do. When life gets tough, when life gets challenging, when we are, when we are more likely to, to think about and to sit in all of the, the negative and pessimistic and hard, what, do we, what, do, what does even this remind us to do? It reminds us to sit back and count all of the ways that the Lord has been good and kind towards us. Who is God? He is our good Abba, and he gives good gifts. Here's the second one. Here's the second thing God does. God gives peace. He's our good Abba who gives peace. It's more than just giving good gifts. It's that he gives peace. Uh, Paul writes to the church in, in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. I don't know what's going on in life, he says. But may the God of peace give you all peace at all the time. May you be found in full peace, not just now, but always. Always be found in peace, he says. Who is God? He is our good Abba, and he gives peace. Third thing, God gives joy. He also gives us joy. First Peter, Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is how we rejoice. This is how we sing. This is how we dance. This is how we worship. We rejoice. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Who is God? He is our good Abba and he gives us joy. Fourth. God gives us hope. Peter goes on right before that in chapter 1, verse 3, talking about the hope that God gives. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the hope that God gives us. Jesus the Christ, and not just Jesus the Christ who died on a cross. Here's the, here's the hope that we have. The hope that we have as believers is a living hope. 
The hope that we have as believers is not a dead hope. It's not a hope that died on, in, in Jesus the Christ. It's a hope that died and rose again. This is the hope that we have. It's a living hope. It's not something that we point backwards to. It's something that we can point forwards to. I hope in this thing that is yet to come, Peter says. Who is God? He is our good Abba who actively gives us hope in something that is to come. Fifth, who is God? What does God do? God gives us Jesus. He is our good Abba who gave his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He, God, who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us, you and I, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, this inheritance? He, God, who didn't spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for you and I, how will he not, how will he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is God? He is our good Abba, who gave us and gives us Jesus a living hope, a joyful hope, a peace-filled hope, the giver of all good gifts. What is our response to the Father then, right? I think that's what, like, what, what, do, what do we do in light of this? In light of, in light of some of these things that we've heard, in light of what Jesus teaches about the Father, what do we do? How, what is the child's response to their good Father? What is, how do we live as children to the, to the good king, right? How do we live in light of it? Four ways that we live in light of God as our good Abba. First one is this, we worship. The first way that we live in light of being a child of God is that we worship our Abba. Turn, if you would, to John chapter four. Verse 23, this is what we do. We worship our good Abba. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says this. It says, you worship, he's talking here to the Samaritan woman at the well. If you remember the story, if you don't, you can go back and read it this week. He says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming And is now here, he says, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is what we do as children of the good, of our good Abba. We worship. Friends, if you're not full, filled with joyful worship, Hard question, are you a child of Abba? If your heart does not explode with joyful expression towards your good king, your good father, are you a child of the father? Because children of the father fully express joy towards the father. Oh God, thank you for your good gifts. 
Friends, if we do this at Christmas towards our children and towards our Father, why don't we do it towards our Heavenly Father for the greatest gift of all, salvation in Jesus Christ? Is your heart full of worship towards the Father today? Should be. And if it's not, maybe this is simply a reminder for it to be. Here's the second thing. How do we live as children towards the good king? We trust him. We worship him and we trust him. We trust him. I don't know what's going on in life today, but maybe this is what you need to hear. Worship, uh, response towards the good father, recognizing his goodness, a response towards his goodness is to trust him. Hasn't let me down yet. Hasn't failed me yet. Hasn't left me yet. I'll continue to trust him. Turn, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 18. Throw you for a loop there. You were turning backwards. Now we're turning forwards. Old Testament book, 2 Kings. It's towards your left. You can go to the concordance if you need to and find the page. It's really okay. No shame there. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Different, different section of scripture here, but we're just going to read verse 5. This is talking about a, a man who, who, who had tremendous amount of trust in the Lord. A guy named Hezekiah. He was a king Text clearly says here, one of the greatest kings that ever lived, that ever ruled. This is what it says about him in verse 5, chapter 18, verse 5. You can go back and study him this week if, you, if you'd like. Chapter 18, verse 5 of the book of 2 Kings says this. It says, he, Hezekiah, trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him or among those who were before him. For he, Hezekiah, held fast to the Lord he did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments of the Lord that, commanded, that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord, because of all of this trust that Hezekiah had in the Lord, and the Lord was with him. I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord. Hezekiah continued in his faith and grew up his trust in the Lord, constantly throwing his trust and his hope upon the Lord. And what does it say really clearly there in verse 7? And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, whatever he did, the Lord caused to prosper because his trust was constantly laid upon the Lord. What do we do? How do we live as children to the good king? We worship, we trust. Here's another one. This one's really simple, but probably one of the hardest things in the world to do. We love. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Remember this one? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. By the love that you express. By the love that you express, Jesus says, the world will know that you're mine. It's really simple. <laughs> Go try it. <laughs> I mean, it seems so simple, right? By the love that you express towards others, the world will know that you're mine. Man, seems so simple yet so challenging if you have love for one another. But this is how, this is how we respond. This is how we live in light of the good Father loving us. This is how we live in light of his good gifts. We love him. We worship him. We trust him. We love him and we love others. Finally and fourthly, and it goes right along with the, these other three, we show the world what 
our good Abba is like? How do we live as a child in response to the good father? How do we live as children to the good king? We show the world what God's like. Matthew chapter five, just flip over one page if you need to. Matthew chapter five, verses 14 to 16. Here's what we're called to do. Here's what Jesus says of us believers. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter five, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and they may glorify, oh, there it is again, and that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven, so that they see what you do. And as they see what you do, they recognize the works of who? Of your Father, your good Abba, who is not here or of this world, but who is in heaven. Friends, this is how we live in light of being called sons of God. This is what it means to be called sons of God, to be given this full-on inheritance to live in peace and in joy, to live pointing forward to a hope, not backwards towards a hope, but pointing forwards to a hope because God gives us Jesus. And our response to Jesus, a response to this good king, this response, our response to our good Abba is a response of worship, a response of trust, a response of love, and a response that points the world, that shows the world what God's like. Live into this this week, friends. Show the world what God's like. Let's pray. Father, we love you as our good Abba. Father, so often we we lay upon you worldly father characteristics that are, that are flawed. God, in a lot of ways we do this because it's the only thing we know. But God, we also at the same time, God, we, we have to recognize your, your otherness as God. We, we recognize your holy nature that you are good and perfect in every way. Therefore, you are a perfect father. God, all the ways that our worldly fathers or father figures have failed us will continue to fail us, Father. We recognize that you never will. God, that your love towards us is perfect. It's a love that desires to give. It's a, it's a love that desires to perfect. It is this deep and abounding, everlasting love, Father. And so God, many of us here at the same time, we recognize your love for us, we, we respond to your love for us, and God, we, we just need help. 
God, I need help showing the world what you're like. God, showing the world how you love. God, showing the world how, how, how to trust. God, we, I need help showing the world how to, how to worship you, how to fall down at your feet. God, I need help. God, I need help. And so, Father, this morning, I pray not just for myself, but for the church, those here physically with us and those online, Father. God, I pray that we would be a people who trust. God, that we would be a people who worship. That we would be a people who love. That we, God, would be a people who show the world, God, a, a, a world that struggles with Psalm 2. God, that we would show that Psalm 2 world what you're like, Father. Because you are good and you are holy, you are just, and you give. Father, we love you. God, help us this morning in this moment to respond to all your goodness and joy that overflows. It's in your name we pray. Amen.